the body positive diva and self-empowered uh, who fancies herself <laughs> the Aretha Franklin of this century. Who wow, said that? So <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Did she say that? <laughs> well, it says Lizo, the body positive diva of self-empowerment who fancies herself the Aretha Franklin of this century no. has skyrocketed <laughs> Not my Aretha. in popularity. Not my Aretha Louise Franklin. Go, try again. No. Um, no. It's a no from me. <laughs> it's a massive no from me. Not the woman who gave me I Never Loved a Man. Nope. Nope. Not Amazing Grace. Nope. Not Lady Soul. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. So that's two reasons why Liz needs to be dragged. Cool, let's go. Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Alert The Stand. You are here today with your host Ease McKenzie and Nick Terrell and Chopin. Brilliant. And we've all been reunited. Nick, do you want to talk about how everything's been since you've been away? Yeah, so um, as you know, I was away last week. I was in Oslo um, for the bank holiday or part of the bank holiday weekend. Really enjoyable, um, really good to spend some time just decompressing, relaxing, having just some time to kind of explore a new city. If you didn't know, which some of you probably don't, but I love to travel and um, it's been my first time traveling this year. So I usually travel every couple of months just to kind of um, decompress and, you know, get to see different culture, different city, taste different food, all of that. And um, yeah, Oslo provided very, very expensive, but um, very enjoyable experience. Went to the National Sculpture Park, went to see an exhibition by the uh, painter that did um, the Scream portrait, of course, and um, yeah, went to do many other things as well. Many sites there to see in Oslo, many islands that surround the city that I went to see as well. Uh, their National Opera House is brilliant. Um, got some nice pictures there. Um, but yeah, it was a really good trip and um, I'm glad that I got to spend some time with some friends who I haven't seen in a while and yeah, really enjoyable experience. Glad to be back. Glad to see Eden and Chopin hold it down last week. And um, apparently it was Eden's homecoming, apparently. But um, yeah, really, really good episode listening back. It was interesting to listen to it as uh, the first time not kind of being privy to what was going to be said. Um, so it was great. Got called a Beyonce hater. Fun fact. <laughs> um, but, um, just let you know, I did defend you on that. Just, I heard, okay. I heard, I heard just, it all. Just saying. I heard it all. But, um, <laughs> <'Cause someone's, laughs> yeah, someone said you guys, and I had to correct them by saying it wasn't me. So I know. Yeah. It wasn't me who said uh, it. Yeah. So, um, apparently I hate an artist, but, um, <laughs> absolutely fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, I'll take the L or whatever, but, um, yeah, enjoyable experience and glad to be back on the mic. I hope you guys had brilliant weekends as well, um, bank holiday weekends. And yeah, glad to get into this week's topics and such. We got a lot of backlash for that Beyonce episode, by the way. Well, in, partic in particular me. 
I saw. And, and certain you, people. It was one person who gave you back. No, no, no. It was quite a few. I got DMs. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, quite a few. Um, we were complimentary for the most part. Yeah, but it was. I wasn't praising. I wasn't praising. So on the episode as well, when I was talking about Beyonce, apparently, um, I wasn't calling her perfect or stuff like that. Which I find funny. Um, but, but no one's perfect. You can't say that in front of the beehive, Beyonce. Um, well, in front of, you're in front of a beehive right now. and Oh, so you're claiming it? I've always said I'm part of the beehive. I'm, so, I'm just one of the sensible ones. Oh, wait, you said you're not be- you're not beehive Australia? Is that what you said? I'm, d- I'm not Beyonce Legion. I'm not Beyonce Australia. I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to camp in your mentions. I'm not going to argue and um, s- scream stats and numbers at you. Yeah. And say, oh, but she did this. I'm like, I think she's great. I'm a fan. That's where it, it ends for me. And I won't be shamed for it. Yeah. Because people try to shame me like you too. Um, uh, I don't... So I that is where I am. We never shamed you for liking um, Beyonce. <laughs> that's where I am. Yeah, so I'm so now I don't so respect people who are fans of Beyonce. I just feel sometimes okay. that I have to <laughs> okay. kind of... Re- I have to just render in my, my, my standship sometimes Um for the sake of this show, I'm not allowed to. Oh, <laughs> but no, but by no means am I, am I. Like I said, I'm not going to be Beyonce Legion or Beyonce Australia. I'm not going to be. But deep. you are by calling me a hater without giving me the chance to have a platform. Whoa! So <laughs> <laughs> um, really and truly. So Nick, what what did you think of? Have you seen Homecoming? I haven't seen Homecoming yet. Oh. <laughs> Just as I haven't played Anderson Pack's album yet. Okay, and that's fair. What what are your general? Because I think people. Obviously, from the last episode, we'll think that you don't like Beyonce. So, what is? But they also will know that I'm. I just. But what's your general opinion of Beyonce, like her music, and stuff like that? Wow. Okay. Put on the spot. No, I'm joking. Um. So, <laughs> I feel like I there are a, a, sl- a few Beyonce albums that I like. Same. Um. B Day, great album. Um. Sasha Fierce, sorry, that was the name, thinking of it. Sasha Fierce, I think that was her pop ent- okay. her entrance into okay, the good. pop world. And I liked the visuals there. I liked how I could see the, the ele- I could see where she wanted to go. I could see where she wanted to go on that album and um, in terms of that trajectory. Album. I know it's not a lot of, you know, the Beehive, Beyonce's fans' best album at all. It's not, I wouldn't say it's her best album, but I think in terms of, where where Beyonce is today and the journey that she's taken to get there in terms of pop culture relevance and stuff. Yeah. That's where it was an album she needed marker, to make. That's a marker of where I see Beyonce like I, it was a good album in terms of that entrance into that arena. So that's where things, in my opinion, Beyonce fans may not like Beyonce stands and all that may not think this, but this is where I see a real trajectory change in where she was going and stuff. No, like I disagree that. with that. I think people I think People, I don't think I think everyone recognizes Stan or not that that was the album that solidified her as a solo artist. Like the first two albums did very well, but that was like she's here to stay. But in terms of the music as mm-hmm. just a body of work, it's not my favorite mm-hmm. album by her. But no, I was I appreciate what it was for, and even she said it herself. She said it up later on that I didn't want to make that kind of album, but I knew I had to because I wanted. She has like a plan for what longevity and all that shit yep so, so but no in terms of the music oh no all be able to tell you it's her worst album so <laughs> yeah i those are some albums that i personally you like, like four though you enjoyed said. 
Um, yeah, four for the R&B stuff, but I mean, in terms of the mainstream kind of stuff, those albums I liked. And yeah, four, obviously, out of all her albums, um, people may consider it her most R&B, maybe argued to be in that kind of pocket and stuff like that. Four was a great record in terms of, um, I felt her passion there. I felt where she kind of, I felt where she was in the beginning, like before Destiny's Child, all of that kind of stuff it, in four, I've kind of felt the same passion levels there. I've always said this in terms of Beyonce's, her, her whole uh, discography and all of that. Sometimes, and there's some points in um, her discography where I don't feel Beyonce in terms of, four is an exception to that, but there's some songs where the passion just doesn't come through and I can see that she kind of conveys, she's trying to convey that passion but I just don't feel it personally. And some other people, you know, Beyonce fans, people who listen to Beyonce may feel it, but there's some projects where I just don't connect or resonate to them. So that's what I think about Beyonce. Her work ethic, top notch, clearly the one of the biggest, if not the biggest artists in terms of work ethic that we have alive right now, um, in terms of who can still do it on stage and bring those kind of high quality high octave high energy performances clearly Beyonce is in a league of her own right now um pop ladies in this era today R&B ladies a lot can't measure up to the bar where she's at um in terms of material holistically and uh more recent projects I haven't really resonated I'm not gonna lie but um yeah her work ethic's great and I will always acknowledge a talented artist um from non-talent artists and she's <laughs> A very talented <laughs> artist. So, you know, Beyonce, that's how I thought about Beyonce. From like, non talented. <laughs> like Eden. This reminds me of that time when Nick um, had to single out Kodak Black for not going to high school or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's what I think about Beyonce. Will I get round to Homecoming? Oh, I probably will get round to oh, Homecoming. I love um, I'll probably watch it on a flight of some sort. Um, that's no, that's the time where I like really like there's no distractions, no internet, and even if there is Wi Fi, I don't connect, so it's good. So I'll just download it and watch it probably on my next flight. Um, have you seen the Coachella performance? Is in Beyonce, like with that, even before Homecoming. I, so I've seen clips, I've seen like um, and all of that, and I knew there was a live stream and all of that when she performed, but. It was either that I was like away or I just didn't watch it mm. at the time. I just don't like watching, like with things, I don't like listening. I don't like watching when there's like a whole hype going on. The same thing with Drake and Views and stuff. I listened to that after. Um, yeah, like I just don't like. Oh, I remember that day on Twitter. Yeah, I just don't like dropped. the pandemonium and just like, so it just gets too much. And then stands are just throwing these things all over the place. And I'm just like, okay, I need to listen to this in isolation. So yeah, with Homecoming, I just was like, you all have your fun. <laughs> I'm going to play this at so, a different time where I can really digest it without um, being, uh, like without the bias being there and all of that. But to be honest, like you said, I think I'm on the same side as Eden here where I say, I get why people go crazy over Beyonce. I get why there's this hype. I get why people are collectively enjoying the experience of Beyonce and what she offers to the table. In my opinion, um, like with any standship, some people take it a bit too far in terms of attacking people who don't resonate, um, you know, with Beyonce and stuff like that. That's um, true. I just hope you don't think that's me. Well, you called me a hater for no reason, and I've just justified it on the mic. <laughs> <laughs> there has been, there has been comments you've made in the past, which, 
Yeah. What? Like, I think that she used the feminist movement for the, no. the self-titled album and stuff no. like that. You know like, what you said, and the Lord and your Savior you still have knows, and that's fine. What did I say? <laughs> what? What did I say? What? <laughs> so, wait, wait. That okay, okay let's, that. let's, no, 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 this isn't dead. What did I say? Because whenever it comes, you know me, I'm all about the statements and stuff. So what did I say? Tell me what I said, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> Tell me what I said and we'll talk well, about first, it. Well, I just want to preface this again by saying that I would just like to be respected for being part of the Beehive because you don't respect, both don't respect that part of my musical, um, my musical in the library and my tastes and things. Um, I literally you just both shame me for it. Shame you for what? Like you, you stand one of the best entertainers. I stand several stand. people. Yeah, but, but you yeah. stand one. The, in this conversation, Beyonce, you stand one of the best entertainers and performers of this era. Why would we shame you for that? It's not like you stand Camila Cabello or some shit like or Selena Gomez. Like the, the, the two completely Can you different leagues. So <laughs> Do they exist? Though? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Do they really? <laughs> okay, they exist, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, two very different types of artists. But I'm going to address my um, my comments on Nick now. So, obviously, as people are aware, Eden was aware, my energy these last two weeks was something else because, you know, there was no capitalism on Friday for me the last two weeks. So my energy and my laughs and my, in the words of Sherelle, my shenanigans were were you know on a different wave and um, Shenanigans. <laughs> um and this thing me and nick have discussed this in depth several times you know the nuance of of my standship standship and his opinions on her um so obviously i i said that as a joke i know nick's not here i thought eden was until last week but i knew nick wasn't because nick has sense most of the time um it's just eden's, it's <laughs> eden's opinions that I have, I have issue with um, well, the game is the game. I said what I said, and that's it. So it is what it is. Yes, but it, no. It so just to clarify, no Nick's on here. I was just being stupid. I was just in my little laughs or whatever. I know me and Nick have discussed this several times. This feels like an intervention. <laughs> this is literally. <laughs> well, like I, said, I just want my name to be clear. <laughs> I just want. Yeah. I, want. I, was and I just. Like, I just want um, to. Um, I just don't want to be shamed for being a Beyonce fan. No, nope. that is all. Okay. No one's shaming you for being. Can you shame someone being like being a stand-up someone? How? I think so. How? Well, this this is the thing. Um, there was actually one time. So, I've, I imagine people listening to me on the show would understand that you know I have, you know, a wide knowledge of music. I listen to a lot of people, but there are certain people who will hear that I like Beyonce and it, it kind of just like delegitimizes the rest of my opinions or or my tastes or oh you obviously don't have a good taste like but why is that because of the reputation of being a stan because no stans seem to be brainless no, I think the moment so at the same token I'll talk, talk about how much I love Robert Glasper or Anderson Pack or Serpent with Feet or artists like that the moment they hear that I'm a big fan of a pop star it's like oh so clearly we're not on the same level like no there's uh, not many but there's few people in the mainstream world who are very talented and make great music and she's one of the few in that world mm. but you both know me personally you know most of the music i listen to aren't really the big yeah, pop stars love underground exactly a lot of underground shit whatever it is will be the big pop stars of yesteryear mm. <laughs> but the moment i feel like today the moment you tell someone that oh i like god forbid sam smith god forbid, god forbid sam smith it kind of like oh so clearly 
you're just you know yeah even even where i work now so everyone in my, everyone is a music kid everyone's a music nerd when some people say like they're fans of the bigger pop stars in conjunction with all these other array mm. of artists that we listen to it's like oh i didn't think you would like him or her why sometimes that's a fair opinion like when some people say you like a mainstream pop star but no not like that but it's just like say you know someone's music taste and they say oh i like um, Jennifer Lopez or something like that. Like, say something really... Ra- don't give me that. <laughs> but, say, <laughs> but say it's just someone I that's I didn't lean back because of that reason, by the way. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Well, if it... Like Jennifer Lopez means they're like Ashanti and Brandy and the many people she's stolen from over the years. Yeah, well, so, yeah. Christina Milian, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. That's who Jennifer Lopez is. She is a... Conju- she is... um. An amalgamation of several black Latina women. <laughs> back from Shante Moore, another one. <laughs> from the last 20 or oh years. That's what Jennifer Lopez is. Yeah. But um, no, but I don't think, no, but I get your point, but I don't feel like if you like a mainstream pop star, that should kind of taint your opinion on someone's music tastes. That's true. But also. And um, also, in, in this case, Beyonce is a veteran. In the, in, she's not like. Yeah, I was just about she's to not say. Been, she's not like these, like. Selena, he's been on the last six years on Miley. She's yeah. been here for 20 plus yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, it's someone that's a 90s baby, I've literally grown up with her music. Yeah, I was just about to say, that's not me saying that Jennifer Lopez and Beyonce are on the same level. Because they're not. Because obviously they're not. But then you get you guys get what I mean. But there is certain, like a elitism when it comes to listening to music yes, sometimes. Definitely. Like um, definitely. if you listen to a certain artist that someone doesn't agree with, they'll be like, oh, you listen to this person. So therefore all of the music you listen to um, has to be from this area. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's changing with the internet, but then mm. obviously with standards and stuff like that, there seems to be allegiances. So mm. it's like, for example, if you listen to, if you listen to K-pop, you listen to these t- certain artists, or if you listen to um, Beyonce, it's assumed that you listen to this group of artists, or um, it seems that like there's a lot of allegiances nowadays. It's not just elitism, it's like, it's just like, it's also like an identity thing, like, oh, you shouldn't be listening to this person because of X, Y, Z. So I remember when I went to Lovebox two years ago, um, and I was telling my friend who was on the lineup who I'm looking forward to seeing. And I think that that year that was Frank Ocean, Solange, Kate Renata, Ray Black. And I mentioned Samford, Mac Miller. And this friend of mine was like, uh, Mac Miller, he's boring. He's white. We don't listen to white people. I'm like, I'm not going to say his name. He knows he is. I'm like, but Mac Miller's dope. I don't know. Have you heard his album? I don't need to. Wait, I know who he is. I said, no, no. I said, he knows who he is. I said, have you ever heard any of his music? He's like, I don't listen to my rappers. I'm like, okay, but he's dope. Yeah, it's true. And the people who think like that. So when I mentioned in that couple of who I'm looking forward to saying, like, why are you going to see Mac Miller? I'm going to go to Twitter during his set. Like, okay, that's you, but I like him. But because he thinks I should only be listening to a particular... And by the way, by the way, this person is one of those people that only listens to Beyonce, Rihanna, and Nicki Minaj. This is one of those people that is to oh, look at Nick's face because <laughs> we all know people. We all know, we all know people like that who listen to just those yeah. kind of people. Like outside of that, their music taste is shocking. Yeah, but sometimes music can be like a political choice. Sometimes, <laughs> are you right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what bit are you laughing at in particular? Exactly, I'm looking at you like, what are you laughing at? <laughs> oh my days. Sorry, no, go on, continue. It's fine, it's fine. 
It's actually fine. No, you have to explain. No, what, what are you laughing at? Oh, it's fine. <laughs> it's actually fine. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, listeners. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so I was just laughing at, um, I just had a flashback um, when Shope said, there's people that only listen to Nicki Minaj and Beyonce. Wait, wait, listen to Nicki Minaj and who? Rihanna and Beyonce. Oh, like, it's I true. just had a flashback. Have you not seen the tweets like, asking for an R&B album? <laughs> this is what I'm saying. That's the flashback. <laughs> I was like, oh. But there is. There's people who literally... No, but I'm like... I'm not actually... Oh, well. And like continue, I said, continue, this is continue, my fine, point. The, connota- the connotations associated with people who are those people. So when someone like me says I like one of those people, they think that the rest of my knowledge or opinions don't mean anything because I like said person. Not Nicki Minaj because dead. But <laughs> the other two. <laughs> people think like, oh, Shopper's music taste isn't what I thought it was. It does seem like music is kind of like a political choice now. But um, but why should it be political if I, at the same token, listen to J. Cole, but I also like Beyonce? Why is that an issue? I don't I don't know. Maybe it's because people just see Beyonce and see the people who support her, and then just kind of. I don't think it's that. I think it's just. I think it's the the ideas that come with being a pop star. Mm. It's like it's seen as less qualitative. It's seen as it's not authentic. But it's also the fact that when you're when you're a big pop star, that's what is associated. But it might also be the fact that she's a woman because we were having this conversation a while ago about um, who was I having the conversation with about how men don't really listen to. Um, female artists yes um, and equally no actually it's not even the same on the other way around because women do listen to a lot of male artists yeah, but they do. men don't really listen to female artists um, yep. I was having a conversation with someone the other day um, and I played a remix of Summer Walker's um, Girls Love is it called? Girls Need Love yeah Girls Need Love um, by Trevor Jackson and he sent me a message like oh I don't really listen to male artists but this is good and I was like oh that's weird wait you listen to male artists yeah he said he doesn't listen to male artists interesting and I was like oh okay that's interesting I've never heard of a man that doesn't really listen to male artists before but if someone came to me and if, if actually a, no I have heard if that. a man came to me and said I don't listen to women like female artists I'd be like okay I see that because in masculinity like the idea of me picturing someone like listening to Nicki Minaj or like Beyonce or stuff automatically in my head I'm like it's either a woman you don't know who it could be like mm-hmm. it's it's quite it's it's quite political your choice when it comes to music it comes down to a lot of things comes and down to gender insecurities even comes down to sexuality yes definitely um there's a lot of things that kind of control the music that we listen to and I just find that really interesting but it's sad at the same time because that just proves how difficult it is for women to reach a certain mm-hmm. level and the women mm-hmm. that do reach a certain level um they have to hold a certain standard um, they're not giving the same lies that um, men in the industry mm. are. And equally, I was reading about I was reading an article about how um, some male artists kind of stay away from falsetto voices now because um, some men don't find it masculine or they find it. Um, Do they? I feel like everyone uses their falsetto too much. Well, I read th- I read this a few years ago because they used um, Chris Brown as an example. His falsetto is awful. Yeah, I know, but was it was when awful. he was first trying it. Like this was the falsetto is terrible. Yeah, and it and using Maxwell as an example. Um, of people who used it and then um, people were questioning his sexuality and stuff like that. Um, but it's just interesting the, the decisions that make us listen to music but also like and that's the things too. that don't make us listen that's to music as well. That's because niggas have been singing their falsetto since... Yeah, beginning of time. Or whatever. But, no, but I think in terms of that, I think that I definitely have seen that topic crop up online about how men aren't 
singing, like using their chest voice or using their real, well, not their real voices, they're not singing, they're just using for certain all the time. But it's like, that's what, that's what the mood of the song allows. Mm. And not everyone has those capabilities to sing like, you know, a Luther or a, a Donny or whatever. And also, I think the market doesn't really want it. Because <laughs> no. when people do sing, like for example, um, Avery Wilson, like I don't see him going mainstream. That's amongst other reasons, though. His music just isn't good. You you think so? No. He's a fantastic, incredible, like ridiculously talented vocalist. But like some we discussed two weeks ago, the music just doesn't bang. Huh. And that's and this is another thing people don't discuss. I think someone tweeted tweeted this recently. There's a lot of great singers who don't make good music. No, no that's what I was just about to say. <laughs> no, we had this conversation last week. I think it was us that was speaking about it. No, I mean like across history. I don't mean recently. I mean across time. Like uh. The biggest example to me is Celine Dion. She has one of the greatest voices in life. But her music has never banged. She has me. classics, though. No, she had no. She has so particular songs, but she don't have like catalog. Mm. Like, and I guess someone that would go against that is Mariah Carey. Yeah, whereas like like Mariah is a, a fantastic, great singer, but she has like albums which are like celebrated and adored mm. by not even just her fans, but like other genres. Like, oh, this album, Daydream, especially Mimi, Celine Dion. You don't really hear anyone discussing. A particularly on album like oh i like this song i like that song da, 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 da. and yeah like being a good singer does not mean you have good music no it's true it's true and i think that's where a lot of people make the mistake because you hear this amazing voice but then will you actually listen to a catalog of their music exactly um and avery wilson is an example of that like really because I've, I've heard a few songs but i can't remember them i'm so. not saying he makes terrible music but it's just kind of like my life i don't like my life will be okay if i don't yeah. hear this again but is it also the fact that our brains are kind of tuned to the fact that we listen to quite kind of the pop stars or the people that are popular at the moment that kind of have like simplistic vocals like if we think drake is probably the biggest pop artist well well beyonce is a pop, pop star artist. she can sing but she's on her she's legend status at the moment and, and she she's she sings most of her old songs as well no but even if there's a listen to Lemonade, Daddy Lessons is a great vocal performance. Uh, that's true. Sandcastles, Sand great vocal performance. Love Drought, great vocals on that track. Yeah, I know she kind of like has incorporated the sing rapping thing, mm. but a lot of her recent material, she's still singing yeah. on those tracks. Yeah, but there's also been that kind of, not I don't want to say a degrade, but it's been like a um, transition, like you said, to the sing rapping thing. Because yeah. Beyonce never had to do that before, and now she has to. Or at least it seems that she has to, in a way. Um, yeah, of course. So, yes, we're now going to discuss what we've been listening to, Nicholas. Yeah, so in Oslo, I didn't really um, play, like, some of their local artists and stuff. There was a lot of, you know, music without, sing like, singers on there, like, in the restaurants that we went to and stuff like that. It was more of a trip of just living in the moment kind of thing. When I showered, like, played, played some hip-hop albums, a bit of Nas, a bit of Illmatic stuff like that that's Ooh. all i really remember mm. um but that's not part of what i'm suggesting to you this week because that was like the earlier part of the week i was what's off your, what's your favorite track on your mic if you have one mm, i have a few actually um hold on i'm just gonna pull up the album because with his for me it's halftime and life's a bitch yeah i love what's his name's verse on life's a bitch Whatever his name is, we, we know. I what did he say? Realizing the realism of life and actuality. I can't remember the rest. Me yeah. So memory p 
park memory lane sorry sitting in the park with me um one time for your mind and that's a great song yeah love that's that a song. great song um and obviously the last song it ain't hard to tell it was just, i think it was just a really nice new york state of song. mind that's another great track that's classic that's, that's a, a great track song. Great album, classic album. But yeah, bit of Illmatic got played while I was out there. Um, it was good to just go back in time a bit. I love Nas, one of my favourite rappers um, ever. In terms of what I've got for you this week, not that many songs, to be fair. Um, I've actually went back in time and people who've listened to the podcast for a while know that I'm very critical of this artist, like extremely critical. Uh -oh. uh, I even wrote a piece about him a couple of weeks ago about OVO. So yes, we are going to Drake, um, oh, wow. but we're going to old Drake, who I love um, and who I, I tweeted, I probably would have been a standoff if he stayed in that same vein and same pocket. But um yeah, I love Headlines, which is one of his songs from 2011, released obviously under Cash Money, um, Cash Money Records, who I believe he's probably still having a bit of issues with um, in terms of his contractual agreements and stuff. So we don't know if he's going to go completely to OVO or if he's going to stick to Cash Money Records because on his last few projects there have been subliminals um, that the likes of Genius have reported on which perhaps suggests that he's um, conflicted. Um, that's in my Drake piece as well, which is on um, Meth Eater. So go check it out and you can go to get those lyrics of the subliminals, which may tell a story about how he might be switching labels. So yes, Headlines, one of my favorite Drake songs, the melody in there, the lyrical focus in there. I just love how he's careless, carefree, in that song and he's just that motivation that grit that grind even though if we really know drake hasn't really had to grind in his life since becoming an actor <laughs> to be fair but um i guess he's was able to encapsulate that um do you think that's a fair statement to make no i, I do because like when you become a prominent actor or like on, was he on, a wait, prominent wait, actor though? i mean <laughs> yeah. not, okay okay well, okay when you're on when you're on a series that is prominent in the country that you're in and stuff like that the amount of connections that you can get in multiple different industries because of the access that you have because of the different parties you may go to because of the network that your company who represent you may have and stuff like that i feel like he was able to tap into a market and facilitate himself as a rapper quite quickly in comparison to other rappers who have maybe had to try for like decades or make how many albums like for example russ and stuff like that who had to make so many albums um who actually i finally like a song from he, he released a song with davido this week which is um which is great sorry bits quick segue mm. but um yeah i feel like obviously there's a point where you in especially when drake was coming up where you did have to prove yourself to the masses that's fair he did have to work in that aspect but in terms of facilitating that setup and even the fact of how how he probably got to cash money and stuff like that i feel like it's a less of a work ethic than say another artist that would have to have done maybe more years work as like building their mixtape era all that kind of stuff but even the he likes had mixtapes out bef mm -hmm. before he properly blew them but also true, but true, also but i still feel like i don't it's feel not like the general act of like you know honing his skills honing his craft as a writer no but also as well the fact that he's from toronto as well 
and a Toronto rapper was something that was still being they were still still being challenged yeah so uh, that's where i would have seen the grind personally and for him to kind of transition from this unknown well not necessarily unknown but he was known as wheelchair jimmy was his name jimmy and that's even another thing Mm. anyone regardless if you are transitioning from acting to music is always difficult always yeah no 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 that's fair um so many people can't do that very well. No, no, no. To be fair, extremely well. I, I feel g- like you, you, you two have, you two have, you two have good points in that respect. But I just feel like, in terms of, I'm talking about it from a network and like building that kind of like having your assets ready. So proving yourself in terms of actually releasing music is one thing. That's completely different. Like once you release music, you're kind of on your own. Like the masses in that era anyway, not this era, it's a completely different time. You can buy streams, all that kind of stuff. But back then where physical was still more important, there was more of a transition going on and it was still kind of the older school of rap, the conventions that you had to hold yourself. Once you release a track, okay, they don't fuck with you, they don't fuck with you, do you know what I mean? And Drake did release a couple of mixtapes, but I feel like the access to different producers, all that kind of stuff, it and the caliber of people he may necessarily have worked with, even with either within Toronto or within the Americas, um, would have been easier for him to probably gravitate towards or buy towards. I was watching a video earlier this week, um, forgot the feature, but he bought, he was able to buy a feature from someone. Um, it was the group chat podcast I was listening to actually. And they were talking about how Drake bought a feature from, oh, I believe it was like either Pusha T or someone early in his career. And um, he just bought it. Like there was no kind of, working towards getting that money like he literally was like yeah i want to track with pusher i'm gonna do it i think it was like a freestyle or something it wasn't like a in his main discography but um yeah he bought that so i mean the kind of asset stuff so he has he had quick access to probably names producers he had the money there in place all that kind of stuff so that's what i mean but in terms of yeah you guys have fair points he has to earn his listenership and all of that when you actually release the songs you can have all the money all the features in the world if people ain't fucking with the music they ain't fucking with it but um yeah back to headlines um yeah i just love the song i love the whether it's real or fake i love the sense of motivational kind of uh lyrics that he kind of puts together the aspirational kind of lyrics the growth the just he just sounds like he really wants it back then and he back then he didn't really have a formula he didn't know what would work for the masses he wasn't a pop star he was more in that hip-hop bag so i just like that side of drake i really do um and yeah i just want to be successful all those kind of songs back in that those days uh, his mixtapes, all of them I fuck with as well. Um, all of them that I know of anyway. Um, yeah, I love old Drake. Wasn't Headline a Take Care song? Yes. It was. But I'm talking about like that's So even in that song, he kind of reminds... I wouldn't be surprised if it was recorded before because even on Take Care, he mentioned in interviews and stuff that there were some songs that were older than the time that he recorded and then he brought them on to Take Care. So it sounds to me like an older school Drake song because I was a fan of his... And it is, it does classify as old school Drake. It came out almost 10 years ago. Yeah, so like mm. I I kind of prefer... It was after Take Care and after the album that kind of followed that that I felt like Drake, was, there was a change and shift. The beginning of the end Drake. was, if you're reading it, it's too late. That was... That was when it. That's when I started having issues with Drake. 
Fair. Um, you did like nothing was the same. I did, but there was a certain commerciality about it. Also, I think the some of the it, like a lot of the songs that year or that summer became club hits, or like at least three or four of them in a row, and um, it. Yeah, that was to me when I was like, oh, it's getting a bit, it's getting a bit too much, like a bit too much commercial Drake is here and all that kind of stuff. Well, he didn't realize the strategy at that time, I don't think, but it was following that direct summer, that direct fall of him dominating that I was like, oh, okay. In retrospect, you can look back at that specific point and be like, that's where he probably started to cultivate an era of, I want to win over several parts of the year with mm. singles, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Um, but yeah, fuck with headlines, fuck with that side of Drake. Um, and yeah, that song is iconic. So many people have done remixes to it. Um, so yeah, that's Drake. Another artist I have been playing, which is probably going to be no shocks to everyone. Still need to fucking listen to Lil Kana as well. Um, but... So Rico Nasty and Kenny Beats released Anger Management Kenny. on Thursday, um, which was great, actually, because on a separate point, it's great when hip-hop <laughs> artists um, release albums. I love how Nick can just on, ignore me when I do such things. Release, release albums on multiple days of the week because it gives you a chance to kind of consume <laughs> them in isolation without the masses of release that happen on Fridays across the world <laughs> and in different markets and stuff like that. So yes, Anger Management was released on Thursday and it's nine tracks long, 19 minutes long, released by Rico's imprint, Sugar Trap. Um, I still believe she is in, in um, conjunction with Atlantic Records. So that is a subsidiary to that. Um, Did you prefer it to her last mixtape? I'm going to get into that. Um, so with Anger Management, it takes you on a journey and Kenny, um, Kenny Beats specifically kind of um, referenced this in a kind of tweet. And he said um, that Anger Management takes you on a trip of uh, kind of infantry in terms of Rico Nasty being very um, tantrum-esque on the first few tracks of the, the record. And then she kind of, grows into a sense of maturity and then comes to a place of conclusion where she's over the anger, she's over the spurt of tantrum and she's in her sense of calming down and she's like, this is why I need to have a sense of calm. I can see the perspective now on all of that. So I really liked that journey and that concept and it was really it was really fitting to Rico who, who tends to like spit, uh, spit in terms of a scream, uh, high pitches throughout her tosography, nasty. You can feel that all the way through the record as well. Um, so yeah, anger management was really cool for me. Um, I loved the uh, kind of monotone voice that followed you throughout the record and said um, things like "You are now here for Kenny um, for Rico's anger management" and stuff like. That. It was it was just really enjoyable. It was really interactive. It was really even the imagery. It felt like um, very. Almost like I, even before playing the, the record, I got the image of um, like the lips almost coming out of um, Rico's head. It kind of just reminded me of uh, kind of circus imagery. Um, almost, it reminded me, I, I used to read like a series of unfortunate events, some of the artwork there, like it just reminded me some of that. It was just very ghoulish, very fun, very fun fair-esque, very circus-esque. And I just I just knew it was gonna be very interactive, very, she's, she was giving you a concept and I'm, I'm very happy that um, it followed through in that, in that format. Um, 
I loved Cheat Codes. I loved Big Titties featuring Bauer and Earth Gang, which was uh, signed on to J. Cole's Dreamful Records. Um, Mood featuring Splurge, great record as well. Um, the Nasty World skit was good as well. It was a nice breaker in between the record. It's like sits right in between the middle of the set. And Rico, I just love how she spits. I think her pen has got better. I think that she's got more mature as an artist. I think she, if she becomes successful, and I don't like to make comparisons because I do still see a complete distinction between these two, but I feel like if she does get successful and does earn that mainstream credit, she's making all the right moves to do so. I feel like she will be in the bag and pocket that Azalea Banks was meant to be in, in my opinion, in terms of that mainstream girl that does things in a different way, that has that punk influence in there, that has that kind of Azalea wasn't really punk though. I know, but like, I see, I know what you mean, I see references between the two of them. I see references in between the two. You mean of them. a female rapper that kind of really goes against goes against the, the typical um, packaging. Yeah, typical of, packaging of a female and, rapper. No, definitely. And I could still, I, I could see, it, I could easily see an Azalea Banks Rico Nasty feature. Like, I feel like so there's there are some songs or some places where they do cross over as well. There's. Oh, there's an Azalea Banks song I'm thinking of right now, but I cannot remember. But the imagery was just fucking mad Which project? in that in that song. I don't know if it was it a part of a project. No, it was just one of like it was a buzz single. I'll I'll pull it up later. But um, yeah. Anyway, I can see them doing a collaboration together. It would fit. It would make sense. Um, but yeah, Rico is in her bag here, and honestly, out of the two projects, um. I feel like it's way too early for me to tell whether I prefer nasty or anger management, to be fair. But um, both are brilliant. And for an artist that's still not quite mainstream just yet, but is on the horizon of becoming mainstream, um, I feel like her projects are better uh, than some of the mainstream cats doing this Ooh, thing. So she's, she's crazy. And I cannot wait to see some of the visuals that um, accompany this. And Kenny... Kenny, you're fucking amazing. Like, literally, Kenny Beats, like, some of your best instrumentals are on this record as well. Um, yeah, you keep challenging yourself and you're, you're crazy. You are a crazy producer. You and Tay Keith, still my favourites in um, this new age school of um, rap. And I love what you're doing with Rico and you two can, you can't, you can't leave each other. And I think um, Rico's worked with Tay Keith as well. So I really want to hear a project with all three of you just for the whole complete project because I feel like Rico would kill a takey Kenny collaboration production. It would be sick. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big Rico fan. Her and Megan have to kill it this year. Uh, they have to make the mainstream. Megan's already on her way uh, with her song right now, Big Old Freak. So we'll see what happens. Um, Rico, I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Great project. And that's all I have for this week. No, it's short and sweet, but it's easy for you guys to consume and get to hear if you haven't already. I know some listeners have already played Anger Management. So, yeah. Cool. Let me jump in. Um, so, I realized I made a mistake last week. So, Law Kana, I reviewed it too early. And I know Shop is going to say, yes, I've, I've, I've told you this. I always tell you this, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I feel like I didn't really do the review for this album justice because I left out a lot of things. Um, Correct. Pardon me? Correct. Have you listened to it? 
No, but I just you don't review an album two days or what, a day after it comes out. Yeah, I think it was it came more. So from my Rico Nasty review will be coming next week. It came more from the fact that um, Lokana as an artist is someone that I just appreciate for the fact he's so vulnerable, um, and we don't really get a lot of vulnerable um, music that isn't related to um, similar topics anymore. In my opinion, um, he raps about his relationship with his mom and how close they are um, and the reason they're so close in relation to her trying to f- <coughs> her trying to find love um, him in his new relationship with his new girlfriend and um, how that relationship's going to be quite interesting because he doesn't want his new relationship with his girlfriend to overshadow the relationship he has with his mom and um, also his father's passing and his mom trying to find love uh, and his kind of stresses in life having two mortgages stuff like that and it just seems very adult it seems very real it seems very um it's it's not started from the bottom now we're here like and that's not an indirect to drake it's not an indirect to any rappers or anything like that but it's just like it's an album that is very real it's very tangible it's something that you can actually engage with um at least for me personally uh, and I just I relate to a lot of the things that he's talking about. So for me, it was a great album. So when it started with um, Dear Gene and he's rapping about how he's met this woman who is like he thinks it's the woman for he's going to settle down with for the rest of his life. But he doesn't want that relationship to overshadow his mom's relationship. I thought that song was beautiful because in the first album he released, he talks about some of the complications with his family and stuff um, and how he struggles with um, voicing his emotions Although he said he did grow up in a house full of women and they did help him articulate how he felt, there were still parts of him that he felt he couldn't really talk about and stuff. But this album for me, I think, is incredible. So it's all I've been listening to for the week. Um, I think he's learned in terms of beat choices, in terms of flows, in terms of um, engagement with the topics. I feel it's more inclusive. And for me, as a listener, as someone who's a fan of his music, it definitely shows growth. It definitely shows maturity. Um, and I just think as he continues to make music, he'll just develop even further. Um, I do think he does need to experiment more with more flows. I did say last episode, or I think I edited it out, but I think he, he I said he incorporated a drill flow in one of his songs. But going back and listening to it, um, it was on, I think, still. It's not really. It's still the same flow. It's just to begin with, he was a bit faster and he kind of changed the pacing a bit. But then he kind of reverted back to his old flow. Um, and that's something that he is going to have to change if he wants to grow as an artist, if he wants to adapt to make more um, unique type of music, because you don't want to have a situation where Laura Carter is related to a certain type of sound. Um, but overall, I think he's already there, to be honest. Yeah, but he's, he only had two albums and I think two mixtapes or one mixtape. Um, so he does have an opportunity to change. But go through the album. You have to go through it in the order that it's set. Um, and just experience it and then let me know what you think that's pod or directly Eads McKenzie and that is Loyal Kana other than that I've kind of been on a bit of a kind of drift week so I haven't really focused on one particular album I went back to Giovanni's Mean we spoke about that a few weeks ago and and um, the comment mainly was from me and Nick that he had a kind of OVO type of sound to him Um, he's a UK based artist and listening back to it I think again it was a bit of an early review um, just absorbing it now, it is a good project, but there are some things that I feel like he falls short on um, in terms of um, the way that it sounds sonically. It, 
it is kind of a carbon copy of a lot of OVO rappers. Like, um, like I think we said The Weeknd, there's some Drake songs on there that is obviously influenced by. And hopefully that doesn't hold him back because I, I'm of the opinion that if you do want to grow as an artist, you do need to do things that are slightly different or you need to make sure that you don't sound like a particular artist who is especially doing well like Drake or someone from OVO because then you're just another carbon copy. But it worked for Tory Lanez, so you never know. It might, it might work it for really Jovan. Well, I mean, originally Tory Lanez was, it was Tory Lanez versus Drake and Drake could have literally just ignored that, but Drake decided to take him on and put him on his tour and everything. So it seems to have worked. Yeah, but other than that, is he really prospering in the world? He seems to. He was he was voted as one of the richest people in hip hop at one point. When was that? This was years ago. Um, I was going to say, but today, 2019. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't checked out his last project. No, but I'm talking about success wise. What what were you categorizing as success though? I'm talking in terms of like numbers, like the traditional metrics of success. Like oh, I understand he has a fan base and people like his music, but I think he's kind of he had his he's had his moment. You think so? I think so. Okay, that's a fair point. I can see why you would say that, but I'm of the opinion that he still has a bit more to give. Um, like Loyal Kana, I do think that Tory Lanez has this issue when it comes to making the same type of music, Oof, like Chris, Br- like Chris Brown as well. Chris Brown released a new re- released a new song yeah, recently. It's and it's like, nah, it just doesn't bang. I'm just gonna say one more time, Chris Brown. I don't want to hear from you till 2023. Um. <laughs> Back to Life is a good song though. No, it's um, not. But other than that, Tory Lanez. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think there's a lot of work that some people need to do in the music industry, and there's this thing where people kind of go safe a lot of the time. They they make the same type of music, and Tory Lanez, Lil Kana need to kind of stay away from that. Chris Brown, I feel like he's found a formula that seems to work for him. Um, or his his album seems to do well still. He, they're still going gold, they're still going platinum. So, I mean, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't, if it's not broken, don't try and fix it, you know? Um, but other than those two albums, I will say the last song or album that I was listening to was, a, I think it was an EP or an album that was released by Jaden Smith recently. It's called, and um, apologies if I pronounce this incorrectly, Aries is coming. So Aries is coming. Um, I didn't like it. Um, I, I liked uh, Sire and I liked the EP before that, the one that had um, Willow Smith on it. But this album in particular just didn't do it for me. It was a lot of auto-tune. It was a lot of trap beats. It was a lot of um, Travis Scott influence. And I was just like, nah, I'm sorry. This I like Astro World, obviously, but nah, sorry, this wasn't it. But that's me. Those are my listens. So Laura Karna um jaden smith's new project uh, aries is coming and uh, what was the other one what was the other one shopping do you remember oh mean Giovanni. shopping um it's been a, a quiet one for me and it was strange because there was one point when i was like oh i haven't really listened to anything new this week and i actually was like looking through my spotify i'm like should i check this out but i wasn't in the mood and i'm like well i'm not in the mood so i'm not gonna Force myself. Mm. So I only have one this week. Um, Etta Bonds, He's Mine. So if you guys may remember, I mentioned He's Not Mine a few weeks ago. And I did say that. So basically, it's a joint debut album. So it's it's a debut album, but it's two parts. So He's Mine is the second the second part. And that came out a week after um, He's Not Mine. And um, I did say that it wasn't as strong as the prior projects. And I still agree with that. But spending, I really spent a lot of time with it this last week, and it was and it was very like natural, like 
I kind of went into it just playing one or two songs and then I would play the whole thing over and over again, like on my commutes when I'll be showering. So like, I really spent time with it this week. And I can say that um, to still saying the same point. It's not as strong as He's Not Mine, for sure. It's the weaker project. But there are some really, really good songs in there. And I think she's mastered the art, which is not, we can't say, which I can't say for most, a lot of these lo-fi R&B artists. She has a way of having all her songs be in a similar mood or vibe, but it doesn't sound like one long song or sleepy. It still sounds like there's, I'm listening to a project and I'm like, okay, this is the next song, okay. Each song has like his own little identity. So um, not really much to say on it, but um, yeah, it's a good it's a good project. He's Not Mine is definitely the better one, but He's Mine is a really good project. And she's just, um, I think she's a really great songwriter. I think uh, like she's underrated as a writer in terms of um, UK artists. So my favorite songs from this project, He's Mine, are Surface, which obviously Apple- I don't like that song. You don't like it? No, I don't like it. Oh, well, I do. <laughs> then <laughs> Love Me Up, More Than A Lover, which features Sir. This is their second collaboration together. Her and Air Bond, they work very well together. Nick, what was the song on Sir's album they did? What was it called? Something new, I think that's what it's called. But yeah, the song that was on Sir's album that they have together was really good. So, I don't know, yeah, I, you're right. So yeah. I feel like Etta Bond and Sir, like I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't be opposed to like a joint EP or joint album because most niggas like to like oh, we're doing an album together. It'll just be some stupid artists. Jeremiah Ted all the time. So, um, or I, I think Quavo and Travis Scott are doing an album together. We don't want that. I don't mm-hmm. want to hear it from you. I don't want to hear that. But a bond and sir, like you know, I'd like, I'd, I'd, I would welcome a joint EP. They have great chemistry as, as artists, so they're two for two. And lastly, um, teleport. So those are my listens for the week. I actually do know what I do think next week. I'm probably gonna be listening to quite a few things. Like I'm really excited to check out Rico's makes it probably. I've like I've heard bits of it, and I did like. It. I texted Nick that sellout is a tune. Um, so I'm excited to delve into that properly because I. As a as a new Rico fan, I loved the nasty mixtape. So and I'm listening to the new Ezra Collective album. They dropped an album yesterday. I've loved all the singles they put out. And I've mentioned it before, like if you guys aren't privy, we have a incredible jazz scene here in the UK and they're definitely like leading that new movement alongside people like Moses Boy and Exodus. Children of Kemet, is it? Um Sons of Kemet. Sons of Kemet, that's it, yeah. Um um, Shabaya Hutchings, like we have a Moses Boy Exodus. Did I say him already? Yeah. yeah, he's great. Check him out. But yeah, no, so Ezra Collective are definitely one of my favorite of the new UK jazz artists coming through. So they put out an album yesterday, which I can't wait to hear. Um, I loved the songs they did with Laura Connor and George Smith, surprisingly. Um, surprisingly to George Smith. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, the one of Laura Connor is fucking banging. That's a fucking great song. I think it's called What Am I to Do. That's a great song. Are you going to listen to. I will, no, definitely. Because I'm a fan. I did like his last album, and he's great live. I've seen him twice. He's a really, he's a really, he's. I saw him field day last year. He's just a great summery kind of mm. vibe. So I, no, I definitely will. I just haven't got around to it yet. But I'm also a bit scared because I didn't like the singles, and I've, 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 I read a few reviews that it's skewing a bit more pop. And I'm just mm. like, oh. I don't hear that at all. Don't know. And then I think my next, the final project I probably will check out 
is um oh I like I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like Super Bowl Q's album releases came and went. I feel like yeah. I feel like no one's really talking about the album. I started and I didn't really like it too much to be honest. I saw the features and I was like, I just don't know if I'm gonna like it. Ty Dollar Sign's on there. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, this might actually be good. Because, you know, if you see Ty Dollar Sign on an album, minus his feature on Drake's album, because I didn't really fuck with that. Oh, Scorpion? Yeah. That was one of the best songs on Scorpion. Yeah, it was. Who? Who? Ty Dollar Sign? Oh, okay. Oh, I was thinking it wasn't a good song. I did. That was one of the best songs on Scorpion. Okay. He did. It was a taste. What the fuck? You don't think After Dark was a good song? It was all right. It's not the best Ty Dolla Sign feature. Oh, no, of course not. But I'm just saying on that album, it was one of the best. One of the best songs? On Scorpion, yes. Okay. Scorpion was trash. Okay. I've heard um, I've heard quite a few Americans actually say that they fuck with the School for Hero album. Um, but I think I've played a few songs, like a few, like, um, I think I got to like song number five. And it was literally because I was hungover on Friday, which is why I couldn't play it. Like, oh, but to be honest, um, from what I saw, well, from what I've heard so far, I'll still give it, I'll, I'll give it another go and like, listen to it all. But, um, but yeah, it just yeah. seems like this release, well, even, even leading up to the release, it just seems like it just kind of has gone under the radar. Mm. And, but I didn't like those two singles he dropped. I liked the first one, but it was just a bit, okay. Then what was the second one? Chopsticks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I I'm gonna so. Ch- so I'm gonna check it out because I'm a big schoolboy fan. I loved Blank Fist. I loved that album, and I loved Oxymoron. So I hope this is good. But I, it's kind of like when Anderson Package of Oxnard. I have a feeling I'm not gonna like it. <laughs> I don't know why. My my spirit and it never fails me. I have a feeling I'm gonna press play on this album this weekend. I'm gonna be like, this. It was, it was a was Charlemagne. Nah, that ain't it. <laughs> no, the introduction for me was was a bit difficult um, to go. Maybe because I haven't heard a Schoolboy Q song in so long. Um, so I didn't really know what to anticipate. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, it was a bit of a difficult listen. But saying on a different topic, because I know we're going to go news next. Next, sorry. I just want to highlight a song. So Kadeem Tyrell released a new song, one of our former guests. Um, he released a song called April 25th. Um, and I think it's a really beautiful song. Definitely go check it out. Go and support if you can. Um, this is someone who is completely independent and is just trying to basically make the UK R&B scene better, <laughs> to be honest. And this song is incredible. So April 25th, Kadeem Tyrell. How the hell have I put up with this? Staring at the wall, I can't pick up the phone to call my boys and say what's wrong. It is only April 25th My mind is constantly playing some tricks Shutting myself out some more I drink, I pour, I drink, I pour, I drink, I pour It is only April 25th How the hell have I put up with this? Staring at the wall I can't pick up the phone to call my voice and say what's wrong Okay, so the news for this week. First on the agenda is an unfinished memoir by Prince is being released this year. So the beautiful ones will be based on 50 pages Prince hand wrote a month before his death. So this week it's been reported that it will be released. Publisher Random House describes the book titled The Beautiful The Beautiful Ones as a deeply personal account of how Prince Rogers Nelson became the Prince we know. 
set to be released in October based on those 50 handwritten pages prints submitted a month before he passed away. What do you guys think of this happening? Like, what do you think of it being based on those 50 pages? Do you think it's right to be released? Um, what do you guys think? I've already, so I've already commented on this. Um, I think last episode where we spoke about Marvin Gaye and um, catalogs and when it comes to labels releasing new content from artists who have passed. Um, I think Shopee linked, yeah, Shopee linked me to a tweet where someone actually wrote about this. Um, and I oh yeah, because a Prince album is coming out this year as well. Yeah, so a Prince album's coming out and they're doing this as well. And for me, like I think the memoir is more disrespectful than the album. I think it really depends on the artist. So for it's it's especially disrespectful to Prince because he was so in control of what he released creatively, and I think it's a disservice towards him as an artist and a person for his values to be ignored and for more information to be released about him to the public. Because although Prince was this amazing artist who made all of these great songs and wrote for so many people, and um, yeah, he was just an amazing artist, there is a part of him that his his speciality was being in control of his sound, of the information that presented him, and the image that was so important to him. Like the fact that his name was something that was copyrighted, so he had to name himself as the man formerly known as Prince. And now something is being written about him and his name is being used as a product again. Well, he wrote it, not something. He wrote it. Yeah, but he didn't present it. He didn't have the opportunity to present it. He didn't have the choice to present it. And that's problematic to me because I think we all would like to have the option to say that things that are related to us could be public. And I think people forget sometimes when it comes to celebrities, they have their own privacy as well. There may be something in these notes that he didn't want to make public. And I think that's very problematic. That's an invasion of privacy. Um, that is just viewing people as objects. That's not. That's more for the reaction of the audience than it is for the artist. And that's where the that's where the um, the border kind of blurs or the lines kind of blur. And I think that this is potentially dangerous. I think that this eventually has to be made illegal because there will be some artists who have work that they want to keep personal and it's just released by the label or it will be used to make labels money for the rest of time. I mean, they can make... Like, for example, Sony were caught out a few years ago at making up Michael Jackson songs. Like, they, they, they had someone mimic Michael Jackson on songs and then released it under Michael Jackson's name. Now, for me... That is a product versus a person. That is Michael Jackson as the brand rather than the person. And for me, that's problematic because then in the future, and I know I'm known as the guy when it comes to AI and shit like that, we're going to disassociate music and um, the idea of artistic expression um, to things that we enjoy. And corporate machines like labels and stuff like that are just going to keep pushing out material um, I don't even know if I'm explaining myself well, but what I'm trying to say is we need to make sure we preserve the humanity of artists when they're alive and make sure that we preserve creativity and respect it to the fact that someone has to release something. It can't be the label releasing something. The label is there to support the artist to release something. It isn't there to um, like produce like Apple produces an iPhone. It's there to support and um, obviously make money, but cater the creativity. It's not there to make it up so I've, i find this disgusting if i'm being completely honest and i know if prince was alive he wouldn't be happy about this he'd probably remove all his albums off of um, streaming platforms 
But we wouldn't have been on there in the first place. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and like I said, I only, I'm a big Prince fan and I only found out last week that all his music was on street on stream platforms. Yeah, I just I think it's I, th- I think it's absolutely disgusting. And I think the labels know what they're doing. They just want to make more money and it's an opportunity to make more money. But, but publishing industries, <laughs> well, yeah, publishing industries, so Random House and stuff like that need to be careful. Um, but I don't want to read the memoir. <laughs> if that's what you want me to focus on, I don't want to read it. Um, obviously, this is trash. Um it was very well documented um, years before he died that Prince was, he wanted, he's said it for years that he wants to write a book about his life one day, um, several years. And I remember him speaking about this when he was alive. And I was like, okay, cool, that would be a good read because he had a very interesting life, um, especially in regards to his relationships with his um, um, musical affiliates um, and personal life. Um, so I obviously as a music nerd, as a Prince fan, I'm like, okay, cool. I look forward to reading this. Um, my only concern is, well, not only concern, with the new album that's coming out, obviously that's terrible too for a, ver- a variety of reasons, but it's like, that's just standard. When the artists die, labels are always going to just push out new music. It doesn't have to be standard though. But it is. But it doesn't have to be. Okay, but we're talking about it is. But then how do you, how do you enact change in anything? No, I I'm, I say I know it's wrong. I get that, but like I just kind of look, I just kind of overlook it. Like, okay, whatever, ignore it. Because a lot of the time I don't pay attention to posthumous releases anyway. A lot of the time, um, like I said, the Marvin one was different. Because as a Marvin fan, now I'd always wanted to hear those songs that were in the works between those two albums. But in terms of the memoir now. It's not finished. Why putting it out? <laughs> like, it's not finished. He wrote 50 pages. So what's the point? Mm. Like, and I get, I get there will be people who will buy it. It's going to obviously sell well because it's Prince. But I just don't get why you'd want to put out an incomplete book. Like, it's not going to be a memoir because he wrote 50 pages. I'm sure that barely covers the early parts of his career. Mm. I'm, like, I imagine that probably traces his childhood. Maybe, like, maybe the, when he first got signed. I don't see the point, like. What are you gonna do with fifty pages? Mm. Like, why? That's my thing. It's like, even if he was, even if he finished the whole book, and it was still being released, it's still awful. Yes, I get that. But my thing is like, it's not even finished. So what are you doing here? Like, it's like, you may not even make as much money as you think you're gonna make because it's unfinished. Because who's gonna want to read that? Who's gonna want to read fifty pages? There's a lot of things that are seen as artifacts that aren't finished. Yeah, like I the know. Mona Lisa is held as one of the most important symbols for creativity and it's not finished so i mean it could still work in in their favor to be honest and it probably will but that's just my thing but we all know that when you're you're worth more dead than alive yeah so which is bullshit yeah like i can't remember what year it was but i remember michael jackson this was years after he died he like i think he was like the third highest earning artist or something of a particular year and he'd been dead for like seven years by this point and i'm just (laughs) Like so, brand Michael Jackson was the third highest paid artist, and he wasn't alive. Um, yeah, like you guys have pretty much covered everything. I think that um, in terms of fifty pages, like what scope are we really gonna get? What did it cover? Did it cover his whole life? I don't think it did. Um, <clears throat> it was very close to the time of his death as well. So, you know. I just don't think it was an act- accurate depiction of probably his what he would encapsulate in his his um his memoir. Um I also think that using someone's image in their death obviously is um 
problematic and obviously has become a convention in the music industry. Michael Jackson is probably the biggest example that we see right now this is happening to or has happened to um, with discography, etc. being released and the example that Eden said using his image uh, under false pretenses uh, as well with um, fake vocals and all of that is just the extent to which people will go to to make a profit off of your name. Um, yeah, I don't think I'll be reading clearly. Uh, it's not really something that he's alive to approve or have gone through, has gone through the process from um, inception to completion. So yeah, that's what I really think on the topic. I think that Prince and characters like him will obviously always be exploited in death. And that's just how profit driven some corporations are across different industries whether it's recording whether it's licensing whether it's publishing um there are figures within these institutions that will still uplift that kind of profit seeking goal and um they'll do that whether you're alive or you're dead through some mechanism so yeah that's why i think on it this is just another kind of um instance where this comes up but yeah moving on to our next topic of the week uh why nw melly is facing the death penalty over murder of two friends if he's found guilty so um if you didn't know he was charged in florida uh for this and will obviously undergo the the criminal justice process of going to trial and all of that and if he is found guilty, um, unfortunately, he will be uh, charged with capital punishment. Um, so Florida is one of 30 states that still practice this. Uh, happen. What, what, do, what are you guys' thoughts? I think it's a, it, I think it's a, tough, it's a tough one to say. Um, I don't believe in the state having the right to take away your life, personally. I don't believe in the death penalty. Um, and I think that's really it, to be honest. I think it's a bit dangerous to give the government the option to just kill you if you do something um i'm not that's not to say that what he did wasn't wasn't one of the worst acts you can do but i just don't believe in the fact that a government can say all right you did this i'm going to kill you um and i don't think that just that's justice for people i mean i can't really comment because obviously i didn't lose the person that he killed but I think it's I think it's a horrible thing to be honest, but mm -hmm. I do understand the logic behind it. But then again, I understand why I I just don't agree with the death penalty. Yeah, we'll see how this case unfolds because he's not even been found completely guilty yet uh, by the jury, uh, so the case hasn't. It's still there's still a way to go. The song doesn't help though. Pardon? The song doesn't. Yeah, the help. song doesn't help. Doesn't help the situation at all. What doesn't help? The what? song that he made his biggest oh, song oh yes yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. remember what it's called but it basically talks about killing people so yeah yeah um yeah let's move on to our last topic of the week so Lizo um Lizzo Lizzo oh god I'm so bad at this Lizzo Lizzo Jaquai yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> um <laughs> Lizzo has <laughs> <laughs> wait, what? Is that Lizzo or li Wait, what? Lizzo. I said Lizzo. You said Lizzo. I said Lizzo the last time. I did. Um, <laughs> Lizzo ignites a debate over music journalism. So, 
the body positive diva and self-empowered uh, who fancies herself <laughs> the Aretha Franklin of this century. Who wow, said that? So <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Did she say that? <laughs> well, it says Lizo, the body positive diva of self-empowerment who fancies herself the Aretha Franklin of this century no. has skyrocketed <laughs> Not my Aretha. in popularity. Not my Aretha Louise Franklin. Go, try again. No. Um, no. It's a no from me. <laughs> it's a massive no from me. Not the woman who gave me I Never Loved a Man. Nope. Nope. Not Amazing Grace. Nope. Not Lady Soul. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. So that's two reasons why Liz needs to be dragged. Cool, let's go. As you were saying, Nicholas. So. <laughs> wow. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> I stopped laughing real quick. <laughs> wow. Okay, so. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Did he forget how to pronounce the name? <laughs> he was thinking about it. I, yeah, I'm thinking he about it. He was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> Still, okay. I'm so bad at this. I'm so bad. Okay, Liza. Oh my Nick, are you finishing? <laughs> Nick. Li- wait, is it Lizzo or Lizzo? Lizzo. Okay. <laughs> so in a mixed review that garnered the album a 6.5 out of 10, outrage ensued following this critique. So people who review albums and don't make music themselves should be unemployed she wrote on twitter on sunday so basically what are you guys' thoughts on music yeah music reviewers apparently needing to play their own music and be an artist essentially to be able to give valid stupid reviews well i mean you're asking us so i think stupid we're music reviewers so i'm just gonna start off by saying when i first saw the tweet i thought she got like a two out of ten or something you got six and a half is that good? That's not bad. It's more than de- it's more than decent. So by accounts, that's a that's a, a solid album. Six and a half. That's it went number one, didn't it? I don't know where I tried. I think it went number one on the iTunes something. Oh, that doesn't count. Where did it go on Billboard <sighs> or the UK albums chart? Anyone can go no was on iTunes. You're talking about the Aretha Franklin of our generation. Nope, not my generation. <laughs> Aretha Franklin is Aretha Franklin always and forever. Anyway, continue. Long, long after I died, I don't know. Who, <laughs> I just, I just. Shuffle, don't know. Continue what you were saying. So six and a half is not a bad review. Obviously, it's not amazing. It's not a glowing review, but is she? That's. I'm imagining if I read the review, it was probably there were probably a lot of positive points made in that review. Six and a half out of ten is not bad. Have you heard the album? Nope, I don't want to. Have you heard it? No, I've heard. As I said earlier, I've heard the singles. And what did you think? I, the singles I didn't care for. Um, I like the one with Missy Elliott. Yeah, I like the one with Missy Elliott. I've only ever seen the performance. You know the one where someone's braiding her hair and she's performing. And the song seems alright. Actually, no, that's a lie. I did listen to some of the songs. And for me, personally, I didn't like them. But on the comment of um, people who don't make music shouldn't review, I think that's a bit of a... That's a bit... No. That, that doesn't make sense to me because if you think of any industry, like people that review f- food don't necessarily have to be chefs. They just have taste buds, right? 
So if if you yeah, they literally go into restaurants. They literally it's just taste buds. You it, they don't replicate what's made to prove that they they can review the food in the first place. Same with music reviews. Like we just sit down and we listen to music and then we review it and how it made us feel or if we felt like it did justice to the artist. It's not even just listening. Like there's an actual art to being a good music journalist. Like. Yeah. Like, there's a skill that comes up, which is why not everyone can do it. And that's mm. why you can see the difference between good writers and bad ones. DJ ac- academics versus... Well, I said writers. I don't know what... DJ academics is a music journalist. No, reviewer. Reviewer. No, oh, but I'm, reviewer. Talking about ri- okay. I'm talking about yeah. writers. I'm talking about music writers. Like, people who work at publications or um, have their own websites. It's not music writers. There's obviously good ones and there's bad ones. And there's an appreciation and an interpretation... And uh, where they digest music, which is not, which differs from the average person with a musical ear. So for me, f- looking at three of us personally, I would say we look and approach music differently to the layman or the common, to the common music fan. So and that's what all journalists are, music writers. They take music in a different way. They listen to it in a different way. They approach it from a different standpoint than just Sally on the street would. So it's there's a skill that needs to be acknowledged and made note of and also even outside of that even the people who work in record labels who are prs who are tour promoters these are all people who have a vested interest in music in a way that goes far beyond just being a fan which is why they're in these industries not all of them because obviously there's people who are shit at all their jobs but if you work it's it's assumed that if you work in music you obviously have a different musical mind and ear compared to the average person so by all means saying that lizzo shut up um, this wasn't a good look for you, especially with all the, the amazing press you've had. Like, every other review was literally, like, amazing and positive. And you got upset over one review. And it wasn't even a bad one. It was six and a half. I thought it was, I thought it was like, two out of ten. Hmm. Like, six and a half is not a bad review. That, by all means, can be viewed as a solid album. There may have been some hiccups or some things that weren't as, you know, strong. But I'm sure if you read the review, I haven't read it, but I'm sure that a lot of positive points were probably made to be given a six and a half review. That's where I stand. And no, you were not Aretha Franklin, so don't say that again. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you just said, to be honest. Except the part where, like, so she's talking about reviewers, right? So it doesn't have to necessarily be a professional thing. It can be someone who just literally listened to the album and said it wasn't good, it wasn't bad. That's, that's a review in a way. So I do think that the common person on the street could be like, I don't like this Lizzo album because X reason or Y reason... Um, without, yeah, of course. without obviously um, being involved in, like you said, the art of reviewing music. Um, but then there are tears to it. And I think what happened was in this situation is she got upset that I guess you would call it the top tier for music reviewers gave her a six out of ten. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's slightly problematic. And that comes from a projected that that comes from insecurity. It sounds like it sounds like she's just. She thought her project was worth much more and for it to be reviewed less means that maybe her expectations are too high. Um, but I do think that there's a sensitivity that she might have to work on. She's moving very Nicki Minaj. And, um, I wouldn't she, go that far. Okay, she, no, I would, in what she just said. No one should review music who doesn't make music. No, but it was one tweet. You know, if it was Nicki, can you imagine if Nicki Minaj, this sh- you would have tweeted for like 40 days and 40 nights. Can you, okay, so answer me this question. Can you ever see Nicki Minaj saying that? Oh, of course. What, that people that don't listen to music shouldn't review music? Yeah, I can 100%. No, because that's, for me, that's quite a brainless comment. Yeah, but Nick Marge is brainless. We can, we, can, we can attach some form of sense to Nicki Minaj. 
<laughs> well, Nick said nothing too. Nick stayed silent as well. I'm thinking about what I'm saying. <laughs> like that's all I'm thinking. Like, on, Nick, what what do you think, Nick? Um, I think that it, in this case, like obviously she said, like Lizzo is sensitive because because of um, <laughs> I guess the passion that probably came from her working on the project and all <laughs> sorry, of that, and sorry. I can see that, and I can I guess attribute that to you know, work I put out and stuff like that. It's like, it is your kind of baby and criticism's hard to take. Like, it is hard to take, to be fair. Criticism is hard to take when you first get it and stuff like that. But I think her knowing the industry that she's in and her knowing that people get flack every single day. But and to be honest... isn't flack. I'm literally about to come to that point. But, um... The sick, yeah, the fact that sh- people get flack every day and if she actually probably read the review, there would be a mixture of both positives and negatives and not everyone's project. I mean, didn't NME this week just completely slander Beyonce's um, live... Lemonade. Live... Um, it was Lemonade. Oh, was it? Le- it was oh, lemonade. sorry, Lemonade. Yeah, sorry, Lemonade, because it got re-released um, up to... Or distributed, sorry, to all streaming platforms the first time in three years what what are um, they reviewing they reviewed the album or like a couple songs the which album. was which like, was weird i'm glad you brought it up because yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because when lemonade came out originally enemy gave it like four out of five mm-hmm. like so i don't know why now this was st- streaming platforms they that was a headline chaser they just wanted to yeah i think it was clickbait yeah, yeah. That's it. i think that was a clickbait yeah so um for whatever reason it, whatever agendas behind these things reviews come out all the time which could slander which could completely um praise a project etc etc so i think with this album and with her baby i think that her considering it her baby in this sense and why she probably got a, a gr- angry because she saw the I guess she probably just saw the negative more than the positive and looked through a different lens, like looked through a lens of just viewing things as negativity and all of that, when really and truly, as Shopee has pointed out several times, a 6.5 is above average. So I get it. Like, I would probably be, I, w- I guess I probably wouldn't be salty, but I'd be like, oh, maybe a 7, but it just make me feel a bit better or something like that. But um, I think the point suggesting that all music critics or music reviewers etc should be people that are artists themselves kind of defeats the purpose of (laughs) a music reviewer or critic in my opinion because that's like saying all gymnasts uh the people that judge gym gymnastics on the olympic board or whatever or sports critics for example um who review basketball football baseball etc etc all that kind of um radio the, those kind of people that are on radios those broadcasters or etc etc should be people who have played the game now while there are a mixture of people that have both been veterans in the game who are part of the sports critic in particular industry ian wright being one of them um it's still a free-for-all. If you have a good opinion, if people gravitate towards it, then you're allowed to kind of progress in the the industry. And in the same way, there's an industry in music journalism, music critique, music, um, music news, period. And I think if you're not, 
to be honest, I can't really say, I, I, I can say it about 10 years ago, if you weren't good at your job as a music critic, you probably would not be at the top of the ranks or getting much much traction. Now, there's a bit more of a clout chasing thing and there's like separate, but in its main conception and in its, in its best wonder years kind of thing, let's ignore what's happening now with the clout chase because it still happens in music as well. There's non-talented people who are at the top. But in the oldest conventions, when, when things were about talent, let's say about 10 to 15 to 20 years ago, the top critics and would be in the industry and you may get a bad review, but it was coming from someone who knew their shit, if that makes sense. Mm. So let's just keep that pretense there that, you know, there was a time when there was a, a time bad review could make good. or break a career. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there were people who gained mass opinion because they were good at what they did and they dissected it in a way. And I think, to be honest, in in she's lucky that in music reviews and music journalism nowadays that that kind of industry has kind of gone and it's it's that review on um, Pitchfork won't make or break her career, unfortunately. Mm. Um, not actually, not unfortunately. Um, luckily for her, because we live in an industry where reviews don't really... This actually brought up a really good discussion about amongst music journalists and stuff like that this weekend about whether, um, whether music reviews are actually even valid anymore, to be fair. And to be honest, it, my perspective on it is that in its broadest in the broadest kind of view of things i don't think it matters as much um, at all to be honest people have acted with the streaming era people do not need to li to look at review there's not as much of a pull to look at the reviews to then go and make a decision about whether to buy we mainly all have streaming contracts like that are bought monthly things that are taken out of our bank account so we can literally play whichever artist we fucking want as long as they're on the streaming mm -hmm. platform that we decide to we decide to pick Spotify, mm -hmm. Apple Music, Tidal, etc., mm -hmm. um, Deezer, but um, yeah, so we have access to these artists. We don't need to look at a review. Yes, in, in my circumstance, there have been cer um, certain reviews because I know because I have a vested interest in music journalism. I have a vested interest in music critique, so I know that DJ Booth review will be nuanced. It will give that clarity, that fuller, bigger picture. Um, and Pitchfork write great reviews. Um, pitch, yeah, Pitchfork pitch are renowned like historically they write for being great good reviews. as well. So. I, for example, with DJ Booth, personally me who's someone who's interested in music, which will fit into my wider point in a minute, I would go and read a uh, DJ Booth review and that might sway me to play an album. It did sway me to play Little Pump for entertainment purposes because I wanted to laugh along with some of the jokes that were being made in that review. So that's why a couple of episodes back uh, earlier this season that I made that point that I played the Little Pump album because I saw the review Whoever wrote it made me laugh, probably yo. And I wanted to listen along and just fucking laugh at the fact that this is some actual bullshit. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's that. But I'm a person that's vested in the music business. I have a vested interest and aspiration to be in the music business. So for example, someone who just casually listens to music, who has like their top listens as, you know, Post Malone or something like that, they might not take, no, no, no shade at all because he has like 19 like platinum records. Like he's he's doing well on the sales point of thing. But um, in terms of, yeah, people who just have gen kind of general mainstream artists who don't really care about music like that, cool. 
um, they may not look at music reviews at all. And if they click a link, they may just be like, fuck this shit anyway, like, fuck this review anyway, um, and just not get the the weight or the the industry that's associated with music review, music critique, all of that. So yeah, I loved the wider conversation that came out of this topic. Um, and yeah, I don't think a 6.5 out of 10 is that bad for Pitchfork for one of your first reviews on there. So yeah. And to make another point, this is going to be, I guess, the point that closes out this topic. Um, before the days of online journalism, Mainly, it was just a print world. There were only, not, I wouldn't say a few, but there were a select number of publications <coughs> available to critique music. So they held more weight because there were less. Whereas now, there are so many, so many pl- pl- places that can review your music. So it goes back to what Nick said about how just it doesn't really matter as much anymore because there's just so many opinions out there now because of the proliferation of the internet. Like, it doesn't really matter. Whereas back in the day, you only had, I'm not going to say 10, but there was a particular amount of publications that mattered. And then if you were slated by all of them, it really meant your album was shit. If it was good, it really meant your album was good. So that's, that's it. That's all I have to say. Yeah, agreed. Um, so yeah, that, those are our thoughts. Um, though that's the news covered. Um, I see it. Yep. That's the end of the episode, guys. Hope you enjoy the rest of your weeks. Remember Dat's Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Please review us if you can. We are trying to get our reviews up um, to become more searchable. Let us know if you have any questions whatsoever, any recommendations. Let us know what you thought of the recommendations. And that is all for this week, guys. Enjoy your week and peace. Bye.